was a time I'll always remember. I could never forget how reality came down around us like some Western movie set. When the dust all settled, the sun shone so bright, and a great calm took over us like it was all gonna be alright. That's how it felt to be alive after the revolution. From Groton to Tacoma, on many a factory floor, the workers talked of solidarity and refused to build weapons of war. No more will we make missiles. We're gonna do something different. And for the first time, their children were proud of their parents. Somewhere in Gaza, a little boy smiled and cried. After the revolution, prison doors swung open. Mothers hugged their sons. The Liberty Bell was ringing when the cops put down their guns. A million innocent people lit up in the springtime air. And Moomy and Leonard and Sarah Jane Olson took a walk in Tompkins Square. And they talked about what they do now after the left their bases, went back to their families. A non-aggression treaty was signed with every sovereign state. All the terrorist groups disbanded with no empire left to hate. And they all started planting olive trees after the Kissinger were sent off to the world court. Their plans for global domination were preemptively cut short. Their weapons of mass destruction were inspected and destroyed. Battleships dismantled, never again to be deployed. And the world breathed a sigh of relief. upon the tracks. Organic food was in the markets, no GMOs upon the racks. And all the billionaires had to learn how to share. Bill Gates was told to quit his whining when he said it wasn't fair. And his mansion became a collective farm after the revolution.
political poets couldn't think of what to say. So they all decided to live life for today. I spent a few years catching up with all my friends and lovers, sleeping till eleven home beneath the covers, and I learned how to play the accordion after the revolution. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb, the Redneck, and you bet I've gone green, and I'm trying to convince you to do it, too. And as I do every week, I'm going to remind you that when I say go green, and when we say, Jackrabbit and I and the rest of the crew here at Redneck Gone Green, when we say go green, we mean that in a multiple of ways. First and foremost, we mean deep ecology, uh, a commitment an understanding and a commitment to the interconnectedness of all of life, not just conservationism, but deep ecology and understanding of balance and that there is a proper role for human beings to play. And frankly, under the capitalist system, the imperial power over dominator system, we're not playing our proper role and it shows. But it also means green as in green party because I'm trying to convince people to join a working class 
political party of ordinary people who are against empire, who are against capitalism, who are for an eco-socialist world order that will put people's needs over profit. And that's why I'm so very excited about today's guest, because today's guest you already know. You know because you're a viewer listener of Redneck Gone Green, and you know that Jack Rabbit is our executive producer, and he makes all the bells and whistles work. He makes the technology go, but he also pops in pretty frequently where he ta- where he shares his wisdom and his thoughts. There's that handsome fellow right there. So, Jack Rabbit, welcome to this side of the camera on Redneck Gone Green. Hey, hey! I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, David. Which is funny to say since I'm always here. <laughs> you are always here, but let's be honest with our with our audience, Jack. When I first said I wanted you to be the guest this week, what'd you tell me at first? I was like, "Nah, I'm good. I'll, I'll hang out in the back." <laughs> and and I just want to say to folks, the reason that I pushed Jack, uh, I think, will become apparent over the course of the next hour, because Jack Rabbit has a unique lived experience. I mean, we all have our own life experiences, right? But I'm going to invite you, Jack, to like, why do you do what you do? And I want you to literally start by talking a little bit about your childhood. So I really want to anchor this and we're going to like walk through your path. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks. I mean, what can I say? I'm just, I'm so grateful that, uh, that you gave me the opportunity to, to speak today. I, it's funny that, uh, that you asked me that because I was actually just talking to my therapist about this uh, earlier today. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I came from like so many, I came from a broken home. And I think that, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because for me, I took a, I took a very global approach to my the divorce of my parents. And, uh, you know, I, I ran away from home and I was just like, you know, I think there's a problem with the system. That was like, that was my takeaway. There's a problem with the system. It wasn't just that I, you know, my family was messed up. It was like the whole world, everything. And, uh, you know, and so uh, I, I actually, let me see. I, I, I was going to save the world by joining Greenpeace. That was That was an interesting little, little uh wrinkle there and i i started uh, i started canvassing for greenpeace after i graduated high school and uh and immediately realized that the world was completely a mess i was like getting people were slamming the door in my face i was like don't you understand the, the <laughs> you know the environment is falling apart we need to do something and they were like get out of here you know I get i mean I, I was like the worst i was absolutely the worst like canvasser ever you know like in the history of canvassing you know jack um, one of the things i say is if grabbing people by the shoulder and shaking vigorously and shouting at them worked i like i would do that because that's my instinct that's what i want to do what i found as an organizer is it's not effective strategy <laughs> no no and like you know and and you know, in my defense, it wasn't like I was not an environmental scientist, and you know, really, the the, the managers of of Greenpeace at the time were really more about uh, they were more about figuring out how they could uh, you know get into the pants of their uh, their their coworkers more than like educating their canvassers on like you know well exactly what is it that we need to do here about this whole environment thing. So I really didn't know a whole lot. I just you know, I had learned enough to know that there was a problem and not enough to actually argue it to these people. And so, 
uh yeah so so that was that was a really big day i mean i i, I know it's sound i'm being funny about it but i can't tell you how disappointed i was it was really heartbreaking for me and i literally was like i i swear to you i was one day just sitting on the curb crying like really like oh this is a mess we're not we're done like we're, our humanity is finished and um but one of the people who i work with at greenpeace was a volunteer at Philadelphia's uh, anarchist bookstore. And that's the wooden shoe, which is actually like the longest operating anarchist bookstore in the country. So how about that? And so I want to, I want to, I want to transition you from like disillusioned Greenpeace canvasser to the anarchist bookstore. Tell us how that shift happened and, and what happened. Right. Uh, so, uh, like I said, you know, so my friend, my friend who worked there, Todd, and he was just like, oh, you got to meet this girl. You're going to love her. She's great. She's great. And, uh, and I was like, all right, sure. Like, yeah. Um, and it was, her name is Karen and she's like, oh yeah. You know, it's like, there's a, um, uh, there's a squat up in, up in West Philly. You got to come, come live at the squat. It's awesome. Like, you know, and you know, why pay rent? You know, like, you know, like we should, we should think, you know, housing should be free. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Housing totally yeah, should be free. Yes, for. And I ended up like, you know, hanging out at this uh, wooden shoe, uh, wooden shoe bookstore. And I was there all the time. And I was like, uh, hey, you know, what, you know, tell me about anarchism. What is anarchism? Like, why, who, what is it? Why should I care about it? And so the guy who, you know, basically ran the place, Alex, he gave me this book called Women on the Edge of Time. So, uh, David, would you would you like to know how I, I got the name Jackrabbit? I want I am so curious. I've known you for a decade now and I don't know. So please tell us how did Jack become Jackrabbit? So so all right. So uh, so like I said, Alex gave me this book. Uh, you know, hey, what I want to learn about anarchism. So he gives me this book by Marge Piercy called Women on the Edge of Time, which is like, you know, it's a classic, right? But it's also just like a book of fiction. But it's about this anarchist uh, future where these like, you know, rugged, um, you know, I don't know, tribes of anarchists are just like, you know, fighting against like the evil corporate, you know, overlords or whatever. And there's a character in it named Jackrabbit. Um, Years later, many years later, I reread it. Uh, oh, but the reason I, I gave myself that name was because one of the things that they did in this fictional future that Marge Percy had written about was when you came of age, what, there was a ritual where they would basically take you and put you out, uh, the, your, your tribe would take you and put you out into the wilderness, and then you would have to find your way back when you were like a certain age. And then when you came back, you would rename yourself. And you wouldn't have contact with your family. And so for me, I was like, oh, cool. You know, that's that sounds like me. I I don't want to have any contact with my family. And, you know, I want to rename myself. So I did. And I took a name Jackrabbit from the book. And I was like, you know, years later, I was like rereading it. And I was like, Jackrabbit is he's a crazy person. And he ends up uh, getting killed in a war. I'm like, why did I do that? <laughs> why did <I> <laughs> Because he was an artist, you know, he was like, oh, he was a wild artist. So I was like, oh, yeah. You know what also is interesting, too, because uh, Women on the Edge of Time was also one of the, it's it's a seminal piece in queer liberation. 
which I think is is worth pointing out that you had uh, you know questioning gender norms in 1976, right? Like, so it doesn't surprise me. And I, I want to make sure that we get into because there's a long history here, right, Jack? Because I want to go from the 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 squat to Atlanta. So before we get there, though, I have to tell you, David, okay, so literature was important for me, assembly, right? Because so my understanding of anarchism came literally from Women on the Edge of Time, this book, right? And um, another book that I picked up in a, a squat, it was an empty, it was an abandoned house that um, that I was hanging out in because the house that I was living in had burned down while I was in it. That's a whole other story. We could get into that. Maybe that, that can be like a, a, the, uh, the extras part of the CD, but uh, of the DVD. But uh, I was in this, I was in this house and it was at the time, like there was a, there was a guy who was uh, addicted to heroin who was like trying to kick. He was trying to like, you know, cold, cold turkey off heroin. And, you know, my friends were like, you know, don't, Go away! You can't be here. Go. And so I, I was went into this other room, and there was a there was Robert Anton Wilson's The Illuminatus trilogy, and uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Have you, are you familiar with those the trilogy? The I, I'm not, trilogy? but I love that you're 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 bringing us uh, into what uh, what I understand to be speculative science fiction, where instead of a dystopian version, we're imagining like we can still win. So please continue. I'm not familiar with that trilogy, but Marge Piercy is uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, and, and it, it was, and, and uh, the Illuminati the trilogy is just, it's basically a libertarian, like hyper libertarian, crazy fantasy that's got like uh, mysticism and drug use and uh, hypersexuality. And it's just like, it's out of control. And you know, years later, I was like, oh, my God, I basically like my 17 year old self absorbed all those crazy things. And like that was my politics for a very long time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and you have to re you have to know about the book to realize how really scary that is. But so uh, so I'm sorry, we, we went to uh, where did we go from? <laughs> I want to make sure that we talk about uh, getting you to Atlanta in 1988 oh, because I know right. what happened in Atlanta in 1988. Yes, yes. So, um, so, so anyway, so I, you know, I'm involved with a, this anarchist community, and there is a protest against the DNC. That, that and DNC stands for Democratic National Convention. Yes, Democratic National Convention. Thank you, David. And, you know, being anarchists, we were just like, yep, not we're going to protest them. doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat, we don't care. We're just going to go and we're going to stir shit up. And so, you know, I, uh, I hitchhiked down there with uh, with some friends of mine and we were just like hanging out in the house and I was dressing up in a dress and, uh, you know, just we did all sorts of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I got arrested. I I actually asked to get arrested. I, I was going to get arrested, but my friends were getting arrested. So I was like, I'll get arrested. And um, yeah, and it was it was really fun. I met a lot of great folks. And I, I went from there uh, and protesting to uh, then hitchhiking across the country uh, to San Francisco, where we were uh, actually fighting the cops at the, the SF federal building. And I was asking my friends about this and apparently it was some kind of like, uh, it was some kind of action that had to do with El Salvador. I, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you, but you know, it was, it was really, I'm gonna tell you, David, it was really interesting because this protest 
really did something to me because I, my friends were preparing to fight the cops um, in the street and they had goggles, they had goggles on, they had done this like, like Kung Fu training there. I had to actually have a friend in Oakland who ran a dojo and he was like this like super badass like ninja guy, like for real. And well, not ninja, but he, well, he was really good. And anyway, he was like training people ahead of time where he's like, this is how you want to deal with it. Like if the cops come at you, like with the, with the baton, this is how you want to make your move and all this. And people were, they were, we were, we were getting body armor. I, 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 I didn't want to do it. I mean, I, I honestly was, I was with my friends and I was like, I'm going to be there. I'm going to support you, but I'm not putting on body armor and I'm not fighting the cops. I'm not going to do it. And I watched my friends get the shit kicked out of them. And that really like changed things for me. I was like, that doesn't, I don't, what's the point of this? I really, you know, like why? It, it's interesting, Jack. I'm so glad you, you bring this up because like, like you, I've been arrested, right? Uh, and I've, I've demonstrated that protest. I've been disruptive and there is power in disruption, no doubt about it, but disruption without a larger strategy and without a building alternatives and institutions is a dead end. Like we can't win if all we're ever do is protest and disrupt, right? Like, so this, to me, it's the build and fight, right? Like- Well, can I be honest with you? Yeah, can I be honest with you, David? I feel like there's a fetishism around being arrested. Yes. I do. I agree. And and again, like, like look, in the Earth First days, like the whole idea of getting arrested was like some sort of badge of honor. And okay, that like, it does take courage. It's an absolutely uh, important thing. But in Earth First, you you do the disruption partly as part of a larger strategy, b- both for media, but a legal strategy also so that people's lawyers can go in and protest the timber harvest plan, right? Like it's part of a larger strategy. Getting arrested to just get arrested, that's a testosterone driven kind of, ooh, I'm such a badass. And frankly, nobody is that badass, right? Like the, the reality is the empire will crush us if all we ever do is protest. It is a tactic that ought to be used as part of a strategy for transformation. But- I mean, I really like, yeah, I love I love that you're saying that, David. I've, I've been thinking this for so many years, to be perfectly honest with you. You know, I, I, I'm really grateful for the people who are going out and they are marching and they are, you know, have their signs. And I thank you for doing that. I think that's great. And it's just not enough. And I've, I've just- but Necessary, but not sufficient. Not nearly, right. not, not nearly. And, and, and this is such a larger, uh, larger point that I hope that, and I know that we will get to, and, and it's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful to you for initiating Redneck Gone Green is because, you know, people, we need to know, we need to have an alternative. We need to really be able to build institutions. We need to be able to have a, a an overarching strategy that actually stretches nationally, globally, and and it is very intentional. And you know, to see people who are you know motivated enough to be able to go into the street and not really have anything to hook into, that is a it's a waste to me. It's a waste of energy. I think it's a way for people to get burned out, disappointed, disaffected, cynical, etc. And so, like I you know, and 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 I hope that and, and I expect that we will be talking about that going forward in the future. We will. And what I want to make sure that we do though is to go from Atlanta 
protesting the uh, Democratic National Convention, because at that time, remember, I'm still an active supporter of Jesse Jackson. I'm still a, we can make this system work, right? Uh, and you're out there protesting, but from Atlanta, take us to to the uh, desert of Nevada. <laughs> yeah, so, so uh, you know, I was, uh, I, I ended up moving to San Francisco and um, you know, my brother had moved there. My brother Paradox, uh, shout out to Paradox. Uh, also, hi Kelly, I love you. Um, but uh, you know, Paradox had actually started off. He was um, going to this Burning Man thing, which was like I thought, ah, oh, whatever, man. You're just going to this hippie gathering out in the out in the desert. Like, who are you? What do you think you're doing? I gotta tell you, it was it was a life changing experience for me to drive out to the Nevada desert. Back, this was back at a time before it had been overrun by, you know, uh, RVs and uh, dot-com millionaires and superstars. Uh, but Burning Man was like this, this, it was basically like a, it, it was, it felt to me like Woman on the Edge of Time, right? Like that book that I was just describing that I was just talking about, where it was like this anarchist vision of the future. There was no money. Everything was just like, people just gave you things, right? It was completely interactive. Like, you know, today, Burning Man is a bunch of like, you know, it's there's streets, there's literally streets, named streets that they set up. There's like a whole infrastructure that's set up and that's fine. I think whatever it is, what it is, right? But at that time, like it felt like everyone who was there, this was like kind of like in the mid nineties and it felt like everyone who was, I'm sorry, go ahead, yeah. No, Jack, I got to tell you, like, uh, so I was there in 97 because I, mean, I know it was 97 because I read an article in Wired magazine in 1996 and said, oh, my God, these are my people. And what were my people was because it was radical self-autonomy, but it was also and people talk about like in. For me, and I've gotten a chance to meet Larry Harvey, uh, the, the 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 artist who created Burning Man, and uh, got to know him a little bit um, before he passed. But what was interesting, Jack, was it was a, an experiment in radical self-expression and autonomy, but it was also a commitment to no vending, right? So a festival without sell sales like you like yes you have to buy a ticket and it's relatively expensive because you have to build the infrastructure but here's the thing no selling amongst each other no exploitation and this idea of uh, like people talk about it being a barter economy out there but you hit on something it's a gift economy it's actually not a barter economy like there's this idea of we could live like this yeah right yeah, the experiment absolutely. that Burning Man really yeah. gives us is not about, you know, the, the fluorescence and the music is great and the art is great and so forth, but it's that the taste of what a liberated space looks like. Yeah, because you were, were there, right, David? You're, you're saying you were there, right? Yes. Yeah, I was yeah. there for many years. Yeah, and so around. and so, folks, for, for those of you who, who haven't been to Burning Man, I'm sure there's quite a few of you, uh, and, and that's honestly, that's fine. There is there is something magical about being in space with people and having like what David was just describing, this kind of like framework of um, this framework of 
sharing and community and participation and involvement and engagement. I mean, that was the thing that really struck me was that, you know, everybody who was there on the on the playa on the desert floor was there to participate they were there in community like no spectating no spectating that's right and and this and i want to i want to really hit on what david's saying here which is that you know walking down walking down the uh the the you know you were you were you knew that anything that was going on you could just kind of literally walk into you were literally invited to right like that's part of the culture right the expectation was there were not barriers between performers uh and and spectators or audience it was and i gotta say uh dave petrovich and thank you dave for your comment occupy dc was the greatest experience we ever had because we're going to get to occupy from burning man because to me that is a seamless transition 100%. 100%. Thank you for, I mean, I, yeah, and this, it, it gives me tingles, David, to, to, to hear you say that, because one of the takeaways I can remember like it was yesterday, when I got back from Burning Man, that first time when I was at Burning Man, I looked around at the street, at the buildings, at the, at the, at the street lights, at the, you know, at the cars, and all the people, and I thought, we're making this. This is something that we are a part of because we're choosing to engage with it. Because I was just in a space where everybody was sharing, where people were were just like giving away things, were welcoming me in, were welcoming anyone who wanted to participate and just having them join. And I realized this is, we are making this reality for ourselves. And, And right now, this urban reality built environment that's run by people like Joe Biden and the DNC and the RNC is a nightmare. And it's something that we make and we can choose to make something different. And we can, anything that's been constructed can be uh, deconstructed and reconstructed. And I'll tell you, I, I do want to get us to from uh, Burning Man to Occupy. And in order to do that, I will tell my favorite Occup- or my favorite Burning Man story, folks. And this is, I was there with... Uh, my ex, Natalie Paravicini, for over a week, and my dear friend, uh, Martin Sutton. Uh, we had gone out for a full week, and uh, we were driving out of the desert. And I forget the, the name of the restaurant, but there was that one, like when you're coming back, the very first sort of place, and it was, again, a full week afterwards. Gerlach. And Yeah, somewhere in Gerlach. And, and there's, uh, like, the place is crowded. It's a diner, right? And get this. So there's a there's a big like a clump of people, but it's not a queue. It's not a line. Right. But like, you know, when you're like waiting in the little lobby area, it's very clear, like, oh, who which group is next. Right. And so I'm t- and, there, and the place is filled with both burners and like the cowboy, like uh, regular crowd. Right. And they're they're mixing. It's it's all fine and good. But get this. So I'm talking to Martin and Natalie. And they're uh, and, and we're talking and we're next. And the waitress comes up. She's in a hurry. And she says, who's next? And I was literally just finishing a story. And so I was finishing the story. And this guy, it couldn't have been 30 seconds, right? But he was just like, ah, he stood, he, he stood in front of us and took, took the space. And I remember just watching that happen. And I was so sad and disappointed. Like, but... I had forgotten in that one week of being in that environment, like how to assert myself and like how you're supposed to be. 
And I had this moment of, uh, and <laughs> here's the story, Jack. So like, uh, and then I, I, I was like, I like this. And I turned and there was this young hippie chick who met my eye, who was also just in that crowd. And she said, it's hard to come back, isn't it? And I just burst into tears and I said, it is. And she gave me a big hug. And it was like, it's hard. Like when you get a little taste of like liberation and we're co-creating our experience and we're doing it, we, like this is the thing, we're gifting things, right? And it forces you to actually say, oh, it's not just gimme, 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 but what can I offer? What is my gift that I wanna give to the crowd? Like the the done well like again before the the tech bros and the millionaires frankly took over burning man yeah, yeah. burning man was an experiment in radical self-expression autonomy and collectivity and it was a, a way to taste authenticity in a way that we almost never get in this corporate commodified society and i'm gonna i'm just gonna i need to just let's let's wrap this uh put a bow on this one with this right which is it, it ties into so much of the oppression that we see coming from the authoritarians in power like when i think about the the vitriol that they attacked bernie sanders with in 2016 I was amazed at how just virulent they were in their attacks on him. And it's because it's so easy to change the world. I, mean, I know that sounds absurd, right? It is. I got to say it is because it just all it takes is people agreeing to change it. That's all it is. It just being like, you know what? We're going to do things a different way now. And and the people in power, they benefit from exactly that. And they are they are profoundly scared of us. Yeah. They are they are just terrified of ordinary people deciding ya basta. And so I am gonna actually use this segue. First, I'm gonna say we're at the halfway mark already. So folks, welcome to Redneck Gone Green. I'm your host, David Cobb. I am the Redneck. We're talking to Jack Rabbit who is a longtime social justice organizer, activist, uh, all about man, man about town. Uh, and he is the technical uh, or is the executive producer of Redneck Gone Green, but he's actually our guest today because I really wanted to have this opportunity for him to come on and talk about his trajectory because I think it's really important because now we're gonna transition. And actually I think it's a seamless transition to go from Burning Man and that experience to Zakati Park. Jack? Crap. What happened oh, wait, at Zakati no, Park? I'm back. I'm back. What happened right. in Zakati Park? What happened in Zakati Park? Okay. So um, it is a seamless transition. It really is. It really is. Because, uh, and I was just mentioning this to you earlier, David, is that like having people in space for an extended period of time can be absolutely revolutionary it can be transformative and that is what happened at occupy wall street what was so special and magical and important at occupy wall street you had a bunch of people coming together in ducati park who were like we need to do something it's time for us to do something and as as we saw more people coming together we got stronger we started to believe in ourselves and we started to believe in what we could do it was amazing it was an amazing amazing moment 
that was heightened when spontaneously around the country and around the world, similar occupations were popping up. And it was like, like it was nothing that I could have imagined happening because it was completely spontaneous. There was not coordination going on. Okay. Not originally. No, I mean, like, no, not originally. That's what I'm saying. It was just like, it, it, it had really struck a nerve with people. The idea that like we were fed up and we we're going to do something about it was wonderful. And it was really, it, it was really uh, inspiring and it inspired a lot of people. So, um, you know, I, I was just like, I actually was, I had kind of, they moved to New York. I was working, uh, I was actually working in an ad agency. I can't even believe I'm saying that. It's so weird. But, uh, you know, and I, I, you know, I had found, uh, you know, I, I had heard about it. Um, I actually had gone to Zuccotti Park very early on, like right when it was starting, if not even maybe even before it was starting, before they had really kind of like become popular. I, I just heard about it through like my freaky friends or whatever. And I actually ran into an old friend of mine from back in Philadelphia when I was squatting. And that was kind of how I knew like there was really something going on because he, you know, he knew people and he was kind of still an anarchist. He was more of an anarchist than I was in the fat in the sense that he was doing whatever. And so, you know, I, I, I came back there and I, I was participating and it was great. I, I, what was, I, the electoral reform, I think that was like politics and electoral reform working group was what I had started off in. And um, which, you know, in retrospect, I, I think is really humorous, but uh, I, I can, oh my God, I, I got to tell you, oh, sorry, um, I, I'm bleeding a little bit here, my finger, sorry. But um, I, I can remember it was, it was so special. This woman came up and at the time we just, uh, we had a sign, we would just hold up a sign in the middle of the park that said, politics and electoral reform working group. <laughs> People would be like, okay, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And, um, and this woman came up and she said, well, how do you, how do you make your decisions? And we were like, what do you mean? You know, <laughs> I had no idea what you're talking about. And she was like, well, do you, do you do, are you consensus based? I mean, like, do you vote? Like, what are you doing? And we were like, whoa, you know, <laughs> my mind. Oh, Good my question. Yeah. Right. So that was like, you know, so started, started. You, you were part you were part of the Occupy whenever it was still like the, the entire General Assemblies were like a dozen folks or so just kind of huddled around, right? Because one thing that and this is where you and I met at Zuccotti Park, right? Uh yeah. and I think it's really worth pointing out. Uh and uh folks, I want to let you know that uh at least for me the first that I heard about something called Occupy was in Adbusters. Uh, and uh, I, I have the privilege of knowing just a little bit Kali Lawson, uh, who was at then the publisher editor. And at that time, so, so remember Occupy is uh, September 2011. That's when it kicks off. Um, folks may remember that January 21st, 2010, was when the Citizens United decision was launched. And me and about 12 people launched a campaign called Move to Amend, a calling to uh, like the audacity, we should amend the entire US Constitution to abolish not just the idea of money as speech and get money out of politics, but deeper still, we were calling to abolish in its entirety the illegitimate court-created idea 
that an artificial entity called a corporation could ever have constitutional rights at all. Because it's not just money in elections that corporate personhood was allowing corporate lawyers to overturn environmental protection laws, worker safety laws, public health laws, and campaign finance laws, right? So here's the thing. When Occupy was kicking off and, and starting to really get steam, I called Kali Lawson and said, listen, Kali, like, like the next issue of Adbusters ought to be all about move to amend and amending the U.S. Constitution, right? Like, like that's with my pitch. And he said, no, no, David, like Occupy is something different. Like the, the, it's a zeitgeist of the moment and it comes out of the Spanish indignados. And, and he was, he had this, like, he was, he was, you know, he, he was talking past me. And I remember saying, Kali, I'm tired of shouting at buildings through all of the 1990s and the global justice movement and the WTO and the World Bank and the IMF and the Free Trade Area of the Americas. I mean, I've, I've had it with just protest. We need to build institutional power. And he said, David, you're missing the point. We're talking about an occupation. We're talking about the heart of the financial district. It's something different. And I often say, Kali was right. And I was wrong. And I was right. And Kali Lawson was wrong. In other words, we were both right, but we were both wrong because I was so focused on this is an opportunity and move to amend to build a concrete campaign that people can get plugged into in a way that fits within, like amending the constitution is a political process to actually take self-government seriously. So I was right about that. And Kali was right about, no, like gathering people together. This is not just a protest. We're occupying and camping together in public space and yeah. people are going to have an experience and it will be transformational. And Jack, if you can imagine, what if, that we had been able to take the the disruptive power and the and and the institutional power and build a campaign at that moment, how powerful that would have been. And, I think and we can still do it. I think it's important, though. This is the thing. I think it's really, really important to keep in mind that we're our, our own worst enemy. Um, and what I mean to say is that I was so just enamored with the the feeling that there was at the uh, at the park where it was like it was, uh, it was kind of like speaking to what we were talking about a moment ago about burning man and the the in like just the feeling of engagement and participation um you know being together right and and it was so exciting to feel that we were making this effort to get everyone involved it's like like so, uh, I don't know if you if you all caught what David had said earlier about the General Assembly. The General Assembly was this thing. It was like this uh, daily occurrence that would happen in the park, where anyone and everyone who was there. So you, you didn't have to be a member. All you needed to do was just be there. And at, at a certain point, there would be an agenda that was put together by a group of people who were. The facilitators there was actually a facilitation working group and they were specifically you know they would they would just exist as part of as part of occupy to make these general assemblies happen where they would uh, get together the agenda and what would happen is you would kind of like have somebody who would come up 
and they would speak and you weren't allowed in the in the park you like the 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 cops forbid there to be any amplified uh music you couldn't have amplified music you couldn't have ampli you couldn't have a pa right so you didn't have a microphone to talk into and this is where the uh the human microphone came from which is like somebody would would stand there and they would say hi there my name is Drack rabbit and this is my proposal that i would like you to like you know uh, uh, uh validate and um uh and then everybody who could hear would repeat what you had just said so that the people in the back could also hear and you would have these kind of like a like a repeating that would go back and back and back <laughs> depending upon how many people there were and it was this wonderful wonderful feeling like there's nothing like i can't tell you folks how lovely it is to hear like your words being repeated back to you by these people who you consider to and, be part of your community and what i loved about the occupy experience was when it was done well and it was frankly disciplined right and not just well facilitated but that people who were collectively like learning to share space in a genuine way like a couple of assholes always seemed like they messed it up but I do think that this idea of how do we capture that spirit? And I, I do want to uh, quote Z Manny, who uh, listeners and viewers will recognize. Uh, Z Manny uh, is a frequent a participant and contributor. Z Manny says, I thought Occupy was misnamed because how do you occupy something that already belongs to you? I thought it should have been called Reclaim. I'm curious. Uh, Jack, how that lands for your ears as somebody who is a real like force at Occupy. Well, I mean, you know, it's a little, it's a little, the word reclaim is a little tainted for me because uh, there's actually a reclaim in uh, Chicago that started in Chicago. And then there's also like reclaim Philadelphia is kind of a franchise. So, uh, and, and I, I feel like those folks are a little, I, I'm on the fence about how I feel about them, but, but yeah, no, I think Z-Manny's got a good point. I mean, like, you know, there's there's a lot of things that were wrong about Occupy, and that's one of the things that I kind of wanted to touch on as well, David. Which is, you know, um, I, I want to go back to what you were saying about like how you were right and how you were wrong, and how the person from Adbusters was right and wrong. And you know, it is magical and powerful and incredible to be able to be in space with people, to have this intention, and to share it, and to kind of be, and like literally create your own new reality. And that was you know, a big part of what was incredible about being at the park at, at Occupy Wall Street in New York, right? However, one of the dangers that I saw, and I think why you were right, like was that instead of, instead of a, uh, instead of considering building institutions, what started to happen at the park was that the general assembly became concerned almost exclusively with logistics there was literally there was literally evenings where like they would be spending an hour discussing where they wanted to get their laundry done people were less concerned about you know how are we going to change the world like working together as opposed to how are we going to feed the people who are in the in the park how are we going to like, like I was just saying, keep people safe. That was an issue. Like, how are we going to keep people safe? You know, and, um, and, and so, uh, you know, and, and what I, what I saw happening was that people were just kind of getting 
lost in the process without really considering a bigger picture. And that was why, uh, you know, I'm going to segue into InterOccupy, which was this organization that me and some friends started at, at the park for the purpose of, of communicating and coordinating across the different occupations. So it was really important to us to coordinate this this movement that was happening because like I said this was a spontaneous it was a spontaneous event there was not coordination about it people in Los Angeles and in Georgia and in 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 DC um you know Dave Dave was there just talking about being at Freedom Plaza in DC you know like like there was not this focus and this effort to okay well what are we going to do with this power that we have recognized that that is happening and so me and a few friends got together we created interoccupy and interoccupies the the idea behind interoccupy was to be able to reach out to these different these different occupations to talk to them to get representatives from these different occupations and try to figure out how can we coordinate how can we build power together you know and, and I, I i do want to uh, like because again at this time i am traveling the country as a as the principal spokesperson for move to amend and i was going like i would do presentations in labor union halls at uu church unitarian universalist churches uh, uh in you know uh, like all sorts of spaces and honestly jack i bet i probably went to more occupy camps than anybody else because i was literally on the road about three quarters of my life and almost everywhere i went there was also an occupy camp and sometimes it would be organized so that oh you know a spokesperson for the move to amend coalition is going to come so there'd be something kind of like part of occupy other times i would just stroll up right and say i have a gift to offer on a workshop on corporate personhood and corporate constitutional rights and people would say hey there's going to be a workshop anybody want to come right so what i'm saying is i actually saw and was there when key organizers and coordinators of different camps started to talk about this thing called inner occupy so like i was poised to already like you because i was seeing the coordinated effort to try to bring these people together so when i found out that you were one of the key people at inner occupy i was like i want to get to know this guy like i want to i want to understand what this person is thinking and doing right so i saw the fruits of your labor and actually trying to get Occupy to cohere in to a coordinated movement of some sorts. And I think it's an incredible, incredible uh, experience that Inner Occupy was experimenting with. Yeah, thanks, David. That was like, I'm really, it's, it's so important to me to know that, you know, that made an impression on you. And, you know, I, I do feel like, you know, Inner Occupy did a really great job. What we ended up doing was we would offer uh, conference calls to anyone who who needed them we we like um you know a lot of times people would want to be coordinating like a, even across a city the city or something they wouldn't want to they wouldn't be able to or wouldn't want to have like an in-person meeting so you know we would kind of you know offer them to kind of facilitate a conference call where they would be you know talking and 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 you know we we you know interoccupy ended up being you know, having people from all around the country who was in, who were involved. We have people from Buffalo. We even had somebody who was like actually from Scotland for a little bit. We had uh, people from LA, 
uh, there was a Philadelphia, Philadelphia folks are really great. That was like Larry and Nate, love those guys. And, um, you know, so I, I feel like, you know, we, we made that effort, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, you know, like, you know, like David brings up, you know, there were, it was, it was really hard because like, it wasn't, it, it there was so many conflicting ideas of how things should be run and what was important, what should be prioritized. And like I said, it, you know, it ended up being that a lot of the energy and effort was spent on these logistics, you know, and, and, and not so much of like a broader, you know, political movement or, or a policy change movement, or, you know, it, it just, that, that was getting lost very quickly. Um, and um, however, however, I want to use that as an opportunity to then segue into Occupy Sandy, if you think that's appropriate. Oh, I think that's literally where I was going to ask you to go. So, so for for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, in 2012 there was a hurricane that hit New York and it flooded uh, a number of different areas. Um, and it was very disruptive, and uh, there's a lot of homeless people. I think Rockaway Beach got hit very hard. Um, people's houses were flooded. There was a lot of damage, and. Um, this is obviously at this point, for those of you who are familiar, the park had been shut down for many, many months. However, there was a lot of people who had made connections and who were a part of like, you know, kind of like a, a network now that they, you know, and, and, you know, maintain those, those relationships. And, um, you know, after the hurricane, the next day, literally the next day, friends from, who knew each other from Occupy drove to the affected area i do believe it was I believe it was rockaway i feel pretty comfortable about that um they drove out there and and just talked to people find out what was going on what do you need what what can we get you and started to create a uh you know a, a mutual aid network right where we were reaching out to people we were um you know getting donations from folks we ended up uh, you know, securing a, a couple churches, like there were two different churches that donated their space to us so we could have a place where people would send their donations, food donations, clothing donations, and, um, you know, and just started to network. And we were, you know, and we were sending people out regularly. There was regular deliveries that would go from these churches to the affected areas. We were, we, like this, this group of people, volunteers, got together an amazing, amazing emergency disaster response um, re response before the Red Cross, before FEMA had even thought about going to visit these areas, these affected areas. So Jack, I, I wanna uh, bring up two uh, comments back to back and get you uh, to respond. First, uh, Z Manny who says, Occupy was an important stage in a kind of learning curve this generation has experienced over the past two decades. And then uh, my comrade uh, Michael, who says, would you say that mass movements often spontaneously begin with the participatory or direct democratic politics that tend to develop more centralized, organized forms when faced with repression? Because to me, like I think that this, these questions, uh, the, the comment and then the question are really underscoring the need for social experimentation, right? The, the, in, in other words, what we have to have is uh, a understanding, we have to have a theoretical framework and then 
like these moments, whether it is police repression, uh, whether it is a disaster like uh, the hurricane, but these are moments where, and I'm going to say already organized, let's call us movement entrepreneurs who are already politicized, can act, if we are properly collectivized and coordinated, a la interoccupy, can move in and and advance our theories, our actions, and so forth. Like, like spontaneity is one thing, but like it's sort of like a fire, right? Like if you if you have prepared the 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 the, the tender, right? If you've actually got it ready, a spark can ignite. Yeah, the hay is in the barn. The hay is in the barn. So, um, I, I do. I love what you're just saying, David, and I also appreciate all the different comments that people have shared regarding this stuff because I think that, you know, as, just even as we're talking, what I'm realizing is that we need to be able to have these events. We need to be able to have these experiences because we learn from them, we can grow from them, and we can use our experience to be able to guide the way they happen in the future, right? So, for example, what I want to say is, you know, one of the things that had been mentioned, I, I'm sorry, I forget who, let me see, I think it was Dave. It was actually Dave who brought up this issue of kind of like disruption, right? Um, you know, there is this initial excitement and, you know, inspiration by these ideals of, you know, engagement and, um, you know, participation and democracy and like having your voice heard and, you know, really like, you know, the community responding to the needs of the community. And these are really exciting, very interesting, very exciting feelings, right? But they but they are unformed, right? And and I think that, you know, what I experience directly by by looking at by looking at this um as it, it unfolded in front of my eyes was how easy it is for something like that to be derailed so easily. It reminds me, I I'm uh, really quickly I just want to mention um a friend my my friends who were in act up actually no it was queer nation it was queer nation in uh, in san francisco during the aids crisis and you know they did this thing that was very similar to occupy where it was like anybody could speak and they wanted to only have things worked on and, and decided on by consensus well they were very successful and they were very disruptive and the san francisco police got very upset with them the only the, like as I as I recall, the issue was is that you know you could speak up and propose whatever you wanted. You could basically block any decision if you wanted. You know you just needed to be queer. That was the only thing, right? Well, there are queer police people, or you know there are people who were queer who were in the police department, and you know what they did? They sent somebody there, and they blocked anything and everything that came up. So. You know, and I saw this is something similar that happened to Occupy, where it was like very much, uh, you know, it was very much vulnerable. This was very, you know, people that these processes, and and you know, budding institutions were very vulnerable to this kind of disruption. And I think it kind of goes to show it really, like it it, it really illustrates this idea that there needs to be guidance. There needs to be there. You know, you you don't want to continually reinvent the wheel, right? Um, and, and it also it also kind of reminds me of, you know, I, I was blessed to uh, attend a, uh, a seminar, like a weekend seminar. There were these folks, uh, Ren Tuatha and 
um, oh, I can't remember his name, but they were basically people who had kind of invented this idea called uh, formal consensus. So they were like, they were consultants, the reckless, like who dealt specifically on how to build consensus in a very practical, structured way, you know, and it was fascinating. It was amazing because I was like, oh, wow, you know, it's like you had mentioned the indignados earlier, you know, what I mean, like these, you know, there, there are people who have already been working on this. There are people who already are trying to create structures that allow for consensus building. You know, instead of instead of being like, oh no, we just want to be open and we just want to be horizontal. And to be clear, like, that's why, uh, and I appreciate uh, the conversation that Michael and Z Manny and others are having in the chat because, like, making sure that we have a level of political discipline and rigor, like institutions don't don't have to be power over and dominating, uh, because frankly, there is such a thing as tyranny of structurelessness. Uh, that is equally uh, uh, horrific. I do want to make sure because I'm, I'm looking at the time, uh, Jack, I want to make sure that we go from the excitement of uh, Occupy to Bernie. But part of that transition, I want to point out that in the Occupy movement, remember that uh, there was a time when Van Jones was dispatched to Occupy to convince Occupy to become the 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 radical wing of specifically of the Democratic Party that was his assignment right to turn it into the to the to the Democrats Tea Party right uh, and it, like they kicked him out basically like they they rejected him they, like they they just weren't interested in the kind of uh, 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 Democratic Party control uh, of the process to their credit uh, which is why I think it's interesting to note that it was under the Obama administration uh, that the federal government issued orders and in Democratic Party controlled uh, cities across the country, those encampments were dismantled, right? Yeah, Not true. originally, but when the Democratic Party machinery realized it was a true bottom up from the left worker controlled like movement that was not going to be controlled yeah, yep. by the Democratic Party, they said, shut that shit down. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is something that, that I mean, I'm sorry that you reminded me because it was like so disappointing because that's exactly what happened was that it was it was coordinated at the federal level where there was a crackdown. I don't think it was literally all happening on the same day, but like in like was, within within a, a day or two. Like, with, you know, with, within less than a, a week, uh, yeah. what you saw was every major city, there were uh, dismantling of the encampments. Yeah. It was coordinated. There's no doubt about it. And Freedom of Information Act uh, demonstrates that. And again, I'll say it again, the Obama administration made a decision that since we can't direct and control it, under the auspices of the of the Democratic Party leadership, uh, that we're going to dismantle it. Yeah, that's well, I mean, and and that's I mean that's that's we're getting in a whole can of worms when we start talking about the Democratic Party and like their subversion of of movements, so their subversion of like you know liberal ideas and and what have you. Um, let's not go there now. There's, you know, this is one of the things there, there's so much to talk about. I'm really glad that you, you, you know, you encouraged me to do this. I, I just, so everybody knows, I really don't like being in front of the camera. It makes me very uncomfortable. But I'm really glad that David's doing this because there's, it's bringing up so much stuff to talk about. So, 
so many important things to discuss. I do want to get to, uh, as David had mentioned, I do want to get to how segueing from Occupy Wall Street into Bernie 2020, uh, 2016. Um, so I, uh, you know, so there was, you know, Occupy Wall Street 2011, uh, Occupy Sandy 2012. And then, you know, uh, in like 2014, 2015, there are these rumblings that, you know, Bernie Sanders is going to run for office. Now, originally, uh, people were thinking that uh, Elizabeth Warren was going to run for office. And uh, people that I knew, I knew from Occupy Wall Street were actually trying to convince her to run for office and so uh, run for president, excuse me. And so, um, you know, uh, um, they were unsuccessful. However, they did kind of create this uh, infrastructure to be able to support her run for president. Well, they heard that uh, Bernie was going to consider running instead since Elizabeth Warren didn't want to do it. And so they reached out to me and they were like, hey, Jack Rabbit, you know, we know what you did with Interoccupy and like your uh, you know, your, um, your, your conference calls where you were, you know, kind of people were talking around the country and we want to do that. We want to build this. We want to have a grassroots, uh, movement that supports Bernie's campaign. When he announces, we know he's going to announce, you know, we have insider information. And so we, you know, we're putting together this stuff. And so they, uh, you know, one of the rallying cries of Occupy Wall Street was, well, we are the 99%. Brilliant, brilliant branding. Love it. But, uh, you know, so he, like, my my friend was like, okay, well, we're going to have 99 meetups all in the same day. You know, it was like he was trying to make that tie-in, you know, Bernie and Occupy. And so uh, so we, we started doing these national phone calls uh, where we were talking to people all around the country uh, in, support of, in support of Bernie's, like, burgeoning campaign. And I do think that we really create, like, we really kind of helped to generate excitement for uh for his campaign through these you know like through a website and through these like regular conference calls that we were running that went really well i mean they 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 really were great conference calls and i'm very proud to say that uh corbin trent uh, my buddy corbin trent was on one of these calls and was inspired to just like basically drop everything and go around the country campaigning for bernie Corbin ended up being uh, Alexandria Cor uh, Ocasio Cortez's uh, uh, communications manager, and um, actually ended up going to DC with her and working with her until he left. Um, great guy, really love him. But you know, he's definitely he's definitely said that like the work that you know we did with those uh, people for uh, people for Bernie was the organization that those those conference halls really inspired him to do that, and so. You know, even though I think that, uh, you know, AOC is a massive disappointment, I can't even begin to talk about how massively disappointing she is. Uh, you know, I, I was very, uh, very pleased because, you know, Corbin was also involved in Justice Democrats and and uh, Brave, uh, Brave New Congress. Yeah, Brave New Congress. Uh, you know, and so, uh, so yeah, so, so that was an amazing experience. I mean, that was really incredible and incredibly disappointing, but also really eye-opening. I mean, I think that and there's a lot, a lot, a lot of people who were radical, radicalized by Bernie's campaign. And again, a very similar kind of energy to what was going on with the Occupy movement, right? I mean, it was just like this idea that, you know, you have these thoughts and these feelings and these ideas about how things should be and what's wrong with the world. And all of a sudden, just like that overnight, you realize, 
there's a bunch of people who agree with me like oh my goodness this is amazing and it's so powerful to be able to recognize that and to to make those connections and feel supported where you didn't feel supported before you know <clears throat> and i think that's really like a big through a through line throughout my my story you know the story of jackra you know like this this you know the 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 anarchists and and then like you know the time at burning man and, and building that and then occupy and then moving from occupy and and to bernie it's like it's always this kind of idea of you know people coming together in space with a, a like kind of like a like-minded people people with a you know a goal or an idea that they share and they want to be a part of and really growing a community that way <laughs> and i think you know, David, I think that just like it's so important and I, I'm so grateful to you for bringing up this issue of, you know, institution building because it's it's not enough, right? We need to be able to acknowledge and accept that it's not enough just to have these feelings and to be in a part of that community. We need to be able to build institutions to build power because without that power at scale, right, it's we're just, I mean... Yeah. That's the thing. Now, thank you for that, uh, Jack. And, and uh, I do want to acknowledge, like, the through line to me is, like, you have consistently said, how do I put my principles and values for love and compassion into practice? How can we make the world the way it should be, right? And so you've, you've committed yourself. And what I appreciate is, you have consistently through your life said, oh, I tried this thing and I learned this, so let me make an adjustment, right? You haven't doubled down on mistakes, right? Like you failed <laughs> forward, right? Like, oh, okay, <laughs> I learned some things. Let me make a new mistake. I've got to more mistakes. Yes, <laughs> but that's exactly right. Like we should fail forward. We should make different and new mistakes because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know, right? And I think that that level of humility, as we say, all right, well, let's try some things. Because the other thing that I want to really uh, underscore is your engagement in electoral politics and the the effort within the Democratic Party. You came away with the same conclusion I did, which is the Democratic Party's presidential primary process is where progressive politics goes to die. Because all the enthusiasm, all the excitement, everything that ends up getting built up there is dissipated, right? We don't have any way to collectively continue the, the experiment uh, in genuine radical bottom-up politics. Like uh, the Democratic Party actually fears us. They do. And, and rightly so. I mean, like, you know, that's that's the thing. They should be afraid of us. And I'm kind of you know i'm kind of excited about this upcoming election because i'm hoping that they're going to see that they can't that they've pushed they've pushed us a little bit too far i think well i'll tell you we're, we're coming to the end so we are gonna i i do want to just point out 2024 is going to be mr toad's wild ride because we already have robert <laughs> f kennedy jr uh polling at ross Perot's over 20 over 20 percent yeah. but wait there's more Cornell West uh, is running for president, uh, sadly, as an independent. I got to say, I was so excited that he was seeking the Green Party's nomination. It's his democratic right and choice. 
I think he's made a tragic mistake, we'll but he is running that, as yeah. an independent. Like we'll we'll talk about this over the weeks to come. I promise you. And Jill Stein just announced that she's seeking the Green Party's uh, nomination. Uh, and oh, but wait, there's more. Mansion may actually uh, run on the new labels uh, uh, or no labels uh, ticket. So here's how I'm going to conclude this, y'all. The empire is teetering. This two-party system is fractious. It's imploding before our very eyes. And frankly, the, the Democratic Party's doubling down on Gaza is an example of how this empire does not know how to handle truly bottom-up democratic progressive energy, and it is growing. I'm going to say it again. This movement is growing. We're getting larger, stronger, and better organized. And like there have been moments, and this moment is coming to a head. And I, I agree to engage in elections, but as you've all heard me say, I'm no electoral fetishist. I want to build movements that are capable of meeting people's objective material needs, creating cooperative institutions so we can make and implement decisions, right? And so, again, our time has flown by. I want to bring Jackrabbit back uh, for any final concluding thoughts for this program. And then I want to make an announcement about next week. So, Jack, your final thoughts. Uh, just uh, just thanks so much, David. Um, thanks to everybody who's watching. I am so grateful to you. And I definitely, you know, what I want you to share your successes, share your mistakes with us. It's really important. I mean, I think that's one of the things that, I feel has really come out from this conversation is that it's so important to be able to make these, you know, try things out, you know, and see how they go learn from them and grow. And, um, you know, we either, we either win or we learn. Right. And, uh, so, so thank you, David, thanks for being a, a really good friend. And I'm really grateful to be able to support us and, uh, yeah, love you, man. I love you too, Jack rabbit. And next week y'all, uh, Jack rabbit is actually, uh, going to come on the other side. Uh, he was He's a, nor, normally our executive producer. He was a guest this week. Next week, he's actually going to host. And uh, it's because next week we're going to play a recording uh, of uh, the, the Barcelona in Camus municipalism experiment. And Jack and I had the privilege of co-interviewing uh, one of his colleagues from Barcelona, who's very active in the municipalism movement there. And Jack is going to play that, but he's going to play it with the ability to pause the recording from time to time to engage you, the audience. So uh, although I won't be there uh, next week, uh, next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific, I want to encourage you to join Jack on Redneck Gone Green for a special edition uh, of a pre-recording, but with live interruption so you can engage uh, the conversation along with Jack. In the meantime, I want to thank you for being a, a, a viewer, a, a listener, a participant. Remember to please subscribe on our Substack, Redneck Gone Green. Please go to the YouTube channel, Redneck Gone Green. A reminder that Jack at the end of this is going to make sure that it gets on podcasts. So we, we, you can write to us. Uh, you can listen to us. 
You can watch us, but the most important thing that we're asking you to do is to join us so that we can build a movement that's powerful enough to change the world. Peace.